Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. Amen. Amen. Stay standing. We're going to we're going to turn to our text for tonight, and that is Hebrews chapter twelve, verse fifteen. This is the word of the Lord. It is eternally true. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. That no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. And then I'm going to turn to Ephesians also. That's in the New Testament. What am I doing in the Old Testament? Ephesians chapter 4, at verse 31, says this. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we pray as we come to your word that you would convict our hearts, that you would, uh, that your spirit would be at work, renovating our hearts, showing us our faults, and Father, giving us Uh, The hope that comes through repentance, Lord, we pray that you would uh, guide all of the words of my mouth and every meditation of all the hearts here. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Be seated. So the topic tonight is bitterness. Bitterness. Hebrews said, let all bitterness, or see to it that no, no one comes short of the grace of God, but no, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble. Bitterness. So what, what is bitterness? We know what it is when it comes to food, right? We know the difference between um, filling our mouths with Uh, milk chocolate and filling our mouths with semi-sweet chocolate or even not even semi-sweet the you know 60% cacao or whatever it is and there's a bitterness to it right there's the the sweetness is lost the bitterness comes in and so we know what it when it what it is when in regard to food but what is it that we're warned against here what is it about our hearts and our souls what is it that's warned against here, uh, here in Scripture. Bitterness is bitterness is inward, right? Anger, anger is is like the uh, when when we struggle with outbursts of anger. That's the that's the nuclear attack. That's. That's the bombs going off, right? That's when uh, whatever bitterness we're dealing with comes out in, uh, in anger. Hatred is, is outward and obvious. Hatred has an outward object, right? When we focus our, our anger on somebody, 
But bitterness is inward, it's corrosive, it's insidious, right? Insidious in the sense that it, it slowly takes over and harms you. Um, it, is, it is unheard, it's unseen, it, it, is, it is inward. And so somebody could potentially stew in their own bitterness for many, many days, months, even years, decades of their life without somebody else even knowing it. Now, it's unlikely because usually what's inward works out in our outward actions. But bitterness can, can sit there dormant for a while um, before it breaks out. And so, uh, so what is bitterness? Anger, anger is to bitterness as fruit is to the root, I wrote here. Anger is to bitterness as fruit is to the root. So the, the fruit of, of bitterness is anger, but the root of anger is bitterness, right? There's a, there's, it is a, a twistedness in the heart and in the soul. It's a, it's a negativity, it's a sinful attitude, it's, a, it's an inward, um, inward disposition that is sinful. Uh, bitterness leads to discontent. It's hard really to, to make a distinction between bitterness and discontentment as I thought about it. It seems that bitterness often works out in discontent. Right, we we become discontent um, because bitter. Um, but again, discontent seems to have somewhat of an outward working, and um, and bitterness is is the core. Uh, bitterness is is retreat. Bitterness is passive aggressiveness. Bitterness is not necessarily attack, but leads to attack. It is the thing that causes us to attack. Um, bitterness can be provoked by many things. Uh, bitterness can take root because of people's actions towards you, uh, the actions of your employers or your parents or your brothers and sisters, your friends, children, wife, uh, church, uh, colleagues, right? There can be um, a response of bitterness uh, it, it can be it can be those who are close at hand that uh, lead to our bitterness. Sometimes bitterness is is ungrounded, right? It's just a simple um, somebody can be we could we would call them a bitter person if they just have a certain judgmentalism about them, right? It's sort of unfounded, but they're just always bitter toward others. They, they're holding to um, worldly distinctions, right, so very tenaciously. You know, the, the, um, a bitter person might, might say, might be the sort of person who, who is always saying, well, he's not around, he's not from around these parts, is he? You know? Um, he's never had to work in his life. Right or he 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 never gets me. 
that guy just never gets me. You know, that, that, that guy just rubs me the wrong way all the time. He, you know, that guy speaks funny. He's, he's got that weird Midwestern accent or lack thereof, right? Um, and the, how do you recognize when bitterness has taken your heart? The sign that we're bitter about these things, some of those examples that I mentioned, is that you can no longer laugh about them. You can't laugh about them. When you, when you realize you can't laugh about something, then bitterness has taken root. Bitterness is unable to laugh. Bitterness has no um, space for humor anymore, right? And so, I mean, I think we live in a very bitter culture because humor is dying. Everybody is offended by humor today, right? And we can't laugh at all these wonderful distinctions that God made in this world, right? We can't laugh about them, but become very bitter about them. Everything is racism, Everything is sexism. Everything is this or that. And so there's just a deep bitterness that's settled into uh, certainly our, our culture. What examples of, of bitterness? I mean, we, we could turn to the book of, of Ruth, right? What, what example do, um, do we receive there? Uh, Naomi, right, changes her name. And um, this is in chapter 1, uh, uh, pick up about 14. And they lifted their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Then she said, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For wherever you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me, and worse, if anything, but death parts you and me. And when she saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. So they both went until they came to Bethlehem. And when they had come to Bethlehem, all the city was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? And she said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Right? Which means, yeah, bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has witnessed against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and with her Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, who returned from the land of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem and at the beginning of the barley harvest. Right, so what, is her, what does Naomi mean? Naomi. <laughs> pleasant. She goes from pleasant to bitter, right? She goes from milk chocolate to 90%, you know, dirt chocolate. And why, why is that? What had happened? Lost her husband and sons, didn't she? She had a hard dispensation from God, and that led her to even change her name to bitter, right? I mean, that's, that's uh, full bitterness. She's gone 
uh, all the way up in her bitterness. She's expressing it to other people now. It's not just inward, but she's, she's making sure that others know about her bitterness. And it's, and, and it's because she had been dealt this, this blow from the Lord. We could also, we could also turn to, um, uh, we could turn to Jonah. I mean, think of Jonah chapter four. But it greatly um, when God saw their deeds that they turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which He declared He would bring upon them, and He did not do it. Right, So that's the context. Jonah was to go to Nineveh and declare judgment, and judgment's coming, and he doesn't want to do it because he knows God is a God of mercy, and God does relent. And then it says this, but it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. The mercy of God provoked him to anger. He prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For death is better to me than life. There's perhaps the slogan of one who is overtaken by bitterness. Death is better to me than life. And the Lord said, do you have good reason to be angry? Then Jonah went out from the city and sat east of it, and there he made a shelter for himself and sat under it in the shade until he could see what would happen in the city. So the Lord God appointed a plant and it grew up over Jonah to be a shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. Oh, little plant, how I love thee. <laughs> but God appointed a worm. When dawn came the next day, and it attacked the plant, and it withered. And when the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all his soul to die, saying, death is better to me than life. Then God said to Jonah, do you have good reason to be angry about the plants? And he said, I have good reason to be angry, even to death. And then the Lord said, you had compassion on the plant for which you did not work and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and left hand as well as many animals? As well as any, many animals. God cares about animals. Right, He actually tells us not to, you know, boil a kid in its mother's milk. Not supposed to use what's used for life to kill the child. Right, And so anyway, I mean, we see in these examples, Naomi and Jonah, we see bitterness. We see bitterness take root. And um, when you are... <laughs> 
So it's, it's one thing to be bitter toward other people who have sinned against you, which we do a lot, right? It is so easy for bitterness to take root in a marriage, right? So easy for, for those annoyances to become roots of bitterness, to become hatred, to become anger, to become divorce, right? Bitterness can take root very quickly. It must be fought against. When you start feeling bitter toward others, you better get to work examining yourself. You better get to work softening your heart toward others. But there's also the bitterness toward God. And that's what we see in Naomi and Jonah. Jonah especially, right? He's bitter toward God. Bitter to God for his mercy, bitter to God for having given relief for that day and then it being taken away the next day. And, and he would rather die than go on living. Uh, think, of, uh, think of Elijah, right? I've served and served and served you, O Lord, and now, now no one worships you. Why have you had me do this my life? Why have I been a prophet? You know, I would rather die. And he's taken up by his bitterness. Um, so bitterness comes along. Sometimes it's ungrounded. We just have a simple judgmentalism. Bitterness sometimes comes when we've been sinned against, really sinned against, right? Bitterness can come... Uh, quite quickly, an unkind word spoken publicly by a spouse. An unkind word. One unkind word can undo a marriage because bitterness will take root and bitterness is marked by this. Bitterness is, is marked by... Um, Bitterness clings to unforgiveness. I think that's the best way to put it. There's no way to indulge your bitterness and have a forgiving spirit. And so bitterness clings to unforgiveness. It like, it enjoys it. It knows that I can't forgive because then I have to give up this bitterness that, that I, I, is my constant companion, is my, is my, um, my, a view of the injustice of this world, right? And I don't want to be unprincipled and give up my bitterness. That would mean to have mercy on people. That would mean to not be just. That would, not, that would be for me to uh, view and, and forgive others, right? And so bitterness really clings to a, a twisted sense of justice and bitterness clings to unforgiveness, Bitterness does not forgive. Um, bitterness can set in, in a marriage when a husband continually gives himself to strange flesh. Right? Pornography. Images. Right? Bitterness can set in in his wife. A child uh, who won't conform, a child who won't behave, you can become very bitter toward that child, 
right? Bitter in your heart toward them to the point where the, the um, you you would you become like Jonah. You would rather not see them change because you've become, begun to despise them so deeply because of your bitterness. Uh, the coworker who throws you under the bus always. That one coworker always throwing you under the bus, right? You become very bitter toward them. And so, um, so what is bitterness? Uh, bitterness is what we feel when others sin against us, real or imagined sins. It's what we feel in our hearts. How can we tell if we're bitter? Well, um, bitterness remembers all the details, right? Bitterness knows absolutely every detail of every situation in which you believe you've been sinned against, and maybe you haven't been, but you perceive that you're sinned against, and that you will remember every detail, Right, five years ago, there was this conversation, and you said this. Do you remember saying that? No. I honestly don't remember saying that. Um, and so, bitterness remembers the details. Bitterness uh, doesn't forgive, even in the face of somebody uh, repenting and saying they're sorry. Bitterness will cling to that unforgiveness. Now, what can be done about this bitterness that we feel in our heart? Um, there's only one answer here. If you will not forgive, you will not be free of bitterness. If you are unwilling to forgive others the sins that they have sinned against you, then you will not be free of bitterness. And... And that forgiveness is our work with the Lord. It's unspoken, right? That the initial parts of this, it will lead to speech. If it's somebody who sinned against you, I mean, it will lead to those things. But the first part of forgiveness is actually softening your own heart and doing that work between you and the Lord. Getting to the point where you can conceive of addressing somebody or conceive of setting this aside somehow, right? So forgiveness Love does not take into account a wrong suffered. Scripture says, love does not take into account a wrong suffered. I mean, think of if we all practice that, how different our world would be, how different our church would be, how different our homes would be. Love does not take into account a wrong suffered. Imagine that. Imagine how our marriages would change. Love does not take into account a wrong suffered. Some, some would say, um, here's the psychologist's solution to, um, to bitterness. What would the psychologist tell you to do with your bitterness? What? Let it out express it you've got to get this out you've got to express it you've got to you've got to uh, shout to the world your bitterness right let it out and all that you will end up doing when you let out your bitterness is you'll spread the sickness around 
That's all you will do. You'll spread the sickness around. That's the psychologist's solution, right? And the psychologist's solution is also to find a scapegoat for your, for your bitterness. The bitterness is, is as a result of you being hurt by wicked sinners, right? And so where's your scapegoat? Is it your daddy? Is it your mommy, right? Is it, is it the, the um, you know, the principal of your school, elementary school that paddles you? <laughs> Whatever it may be, you're gonna, they're going to want you to find a scapegoat. They're going to want you to find somebody that caused the bitterness uh, to rise up in your heart. You know, um, do you feel bitterness towards your father? Well, go confront your father. That's the first step, they would say. Go confront your father. Don't do any soul searching. Don't do any um, working on your own heart. Job, um, Job 10, verse 1, I loathe my own life. I will give full vent to my complaints. I will speak in the bitterness of my soul. And that's what, and that was, that's sin. I'm going to give full vent to my complaints. I'm going to lay my sin at the foot of everybody else. I, and I'm not denying that we are sinned against. There are things that happen to people that if there isn't bitterness at the core, you, you wonder if they have any sort of feelings. But, but, But there, there is a lot of things, there, there are a lot of situations in every day where we could let bitterness take root, right? Where we could respond with bitterness. Um, others would tell you to, to, to keep the bitterness in. Just, just um, keep it in, let it be your constant companion, and you'll eventually make yourself sick this way, right? You, you're, you, that's like... Um, it's like having Eeyore with you all the time. You know, just, just living in bitterness. Always negative, always depressed, always a victim, always the one who sinned against, never able to come outside of yourself, just stewing stewing in your own bitterness. And some would say, just, just keep that in, but that's not good. Um, here's, here's what the Bible says. It says in Ephesians 4, it says, get rid of all bitterness. Remove it. Get rid of it. You have to actually do the work of getting rid of it. You, you, you can't keep it in, and uh, you mustn't shout it to the world, right, in a boastful way or in a I'm a victim sort of way. I mean, again, that's our culture, right? Shout your bitterness to the world. Publish it on, you know, Instagram. Publish all your bitterness. Throw it out there. And, and then hold everybody else captive by your own bitterness. That's our culture. It's like everybody's captive with with angry, bitter people. It's terrible, right? And so you must not do that. What you must do is 
Surrender it to the Father through the Son. Surrender it to God, confess it as sin, and remember that Christ atoned for sins, right? Um, recognize bitterness as your own problem, not, not in a, don't become a victim about it. Recognize bitterness as your own problem. It's not other people's sins. You may have been sinned against, but the bitterness is still your sin, right? Bitterness is your sin that you must deal with. Um, are you going to be bitter for the rest of your life because someone else insists on being in sin? Are you going to be bitter the rest of your life because someone else sins against you? Right? Are you going to go on being bitter your whole life because you have been afflicted by other people? Uh, very easy to do this. And then ultimately it comes to this. Will you go on rejecting God's providence in your life? That's really what all this boils down to. And we see that in Naomi, don't we? She was not happy with what God had done for her. We see that with Jonah, don't we? He was not happy with how God had laid out his life for him. And ultimately, I think that's what bitterness is. Bitterness is rejecting God's providence. Rejecting that God knew even about the sins that would be committed against you. Rejecting about all the hardships that God brought into your life in order to sanctify you. Ultimately, bitterness is like rejecting sanctification. It's rejecting all the means that God brings pressure on you to make you conform to his son, Jesus Christ. Right? That really is the issue. It's, bitterness is, is really shallow thoughts about the God's providence. Right? And so, and so to, to fight bitterness... You really have to go cosmic up here. You have to pull back and you have to remind yourself that there is nothing that comes to pass without God's knowledge. And all of it is meant for what? All of it is meant to lead to the praise of his glory forever and ever. Amen, right? I mean, that is the end of all these things. And so... And so you go to God and you begin working to remove bitterness from heart. You have to do some hard work. You actually have to go to God in prayer and begin grappling with God in prayer like Job did. You have to go to him and you have to say, Lord, I am bitter of heart. And I, I am not pleased with the way that you have laid things out for me in my life now. Father, I confess that to you as sin. That is wrong of me. And so I need you, Father, to, to remind me of your goodness. I need you to, to show me in your scripture all the places where, where, where we're told to love God in the midst of suffering. And that all of it is meant for a purpose. And the other thing I would say 
is this. So, so it, I mean, every solution to all of our sins is theological, right? It's, it's understanding God, who he is, and his actions. It's always theological. And so that's step number one, is coming to terms with you serve a God who has laid out everything that will ever happen in your life for a purpose. You can't be bitter because to be bitter is to be angry toward God. It's to be angry toward God as Jonah was, right? And then he'll start making these plants grow up around you and taking them out with worms the next day to test you even more, right? And then, and then there's, there's ultimately this. Um, can you think of somebody else who, who experienced bitterness in this life that's laid out for us in Scripture, Who's that? I can't hear you. The prodigal son. Okay. Yes. Yeah. He was, he, he was bitter in his heart toward his father and asked for his inheritance and then squandered it. Felt even more bitterness. And yet what, what brings him back is his willingness to go to God and say, God, I've sinned against you and I've sinned against God, right? He goes back to his father. His brother is extremely bitter. I think that story is more about the brother than it is about the son, uh, the prodigal son. Well, Esau is the classic example of it, right? And that's where the passage that we read from Hebrews goes, that... that, uh, he became bitter toward his brother because uh, he stole from him. But he gave up his birthright for a pot of stew. And he became bitter, so bitter that when he sought for repentance, he could not find it. Right? That's when bitterness is so deeply set that even when you look for repentance, you still cling to your bitterness. He just, he, he, he would not give that up. Um, think of Jeremiah. You think Jeremiah suffered anything? What did he suffer? Name the things that Jeremiah suffered. He was ridiculed by the people that God sent him to. That would be infuriating, right? That would cause bitterness to take deep root in any prophet or pastor, right? What else? He got thrown down a well, you know, chucked down there, imprisoned in a well. Um, he, was, he was beaten he was assaulted, right? He was mocked. He was rejected. He was tortured. He, he was thrown. He was falsely accused, right? I mean, how much bitterness would creep up in your soul when, when people are attacking your character and you know they're lying? Oh, God, how could you let this happen to me? And then, and so Jeremiah suffers all these things, and then. He's pouring his soul out before God. He's crying out to God. And, and the book is even called Lamentations. And, 
And this is what we read in it. Now, see what his solution is to bitterness. He's going to describe his bitterness first. I am the man who has seen affliction because of the rod of God's wrath. He has driven me and made me walk in darkness and not in light. Surely against me he has turned his hand repeatedly all the day. He has caused my flesh and my skin to waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and encompassed me with bitterness and hardship. In dark places he he has made me dwell like those who have been long dead. He has walled me in so that I cannot go out. He has made my chain heavy. Even when I cry out to help and cry out and call for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with hewn stone. He has made my paths crooked. He is to me like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in secret places. This is giving pretty good expression to his bitterness, wouldn't you say? He has turned aside my ways and torn me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He has bent his bow and set me as a target for the arrow. He has made the arrows of his quiver to enter into my inward parts. I have become a laughingstock to all my people. They're mocking song all the day. He has filled me with bitterness. He has made me drunk with wormwood. He has broken my teeth teeth with gravel. He has made me cower in the dust. My soul has been rejected from peace. I have forgotten happiness. Now there's another description or motto of the bitter of soul. I have forgotten happiness. So I say my strength has perished and so has my hope from the Lord. And then prayer. So that's him going to to the Lord and working out his bitterness. God, this is what I experience. This is what your wounds are doing to me right now. Now, pouring yourself out like that to the Lord should be done reverently and soberly. But it is right to do so. He is a father who delights to hear from his children. But then the prayer, remember my affliction and my wandering, the wormwood and bitterness. Surely my soul remembers and is bowed down within me. This I recall to my mind. Therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. So you see there, where does he go? Where does he go to deal with his bitterness? One, he goes to prayer, right? He pours out that complaint, but then it would be improper if he just poured out the complaint and remained in his bitterness. Then he turns from his his bitterness and he prays and he does what? Praises God, remembers the, the, the covenant love, the hesed of the Lord. He remembers God and who he is, 
even after he's listed every terrible thing that's ever happened to him and how he feels, he still knows that there is a higher truth, a more uh, pertinent truth, a more eternal and solid truth, and that's that God is merciful and his compassions are new every morning, right? They never cease. They never cease. And so he's, he's giving thanks to God, Gratitude is probably the antidote to your bitterness. Because it's, the, it's actually the opposite of bitterness. Bitterness will not accept the sovereignty of God and his providence. Gratitude is saying, yes, I accept your providence. I accept your sovereign plan. That's what gratitude is. When we, when we give God thanks for everything, when we give God thanks for for all the afflictions that come to us. Yeah, we thank God for those things. We do. We thank God even that he humbles us through people sinning against us. That he humbles us and warns us not to sin. And not to treat others as, as we have been treated ourselves. And so gratitude is the antidote to a bitter heart. Gratitude is having not shallow thoughts of God's providence, but having deep, deep, deep thoughts about God's providence. And being able to say thank you. Being able to say this is, this is your fatherly hand in my life. And that will break down bitterness, right? That will break down your bitterness. But examine yourself. Find, find out if you're, if you're bitter toward others, if you're bitter toward your spouse, if you're bitter ultimately at anything, it shows that you're bitter toward God. Remember that? And then start grappling with God's sovereign, sovereign plan. Start grappling with that. And then pivot. Every time you're, you're tempted to indulge your bitterness... Get a word of thanksgiving on your lips. Find a verse that you can lift up to the Lord and force your gratitude upon the Lord. Right? So do this work. Every one of us struggles with bitterness. Every one of us. And so we need to do this work. And then there's one, there's one other solution. To bitterness, and I'll end with this, and it's Proverbs 31.6. Give strong drink to him who is perishing and wine to him whose life is bitter. Hey, it's the word of the Lord. <laughs> wine makes the heart merry, okay? Drunkenness is forbidden, obviously, but there is something about the gladness of the heart that that works on bitterness, that comes through wine, okay? I'm, I know, I know. Um, I know those are dangerous grounds, but it's also dangerous grounds for me to tell you to pour out your complaints before the Lord because you may, you may do it in a, a sinful way. You should never do that. You should express the wounds that you are experiencing to the Lord in a respectful and sober way, and you should also um, regulate yourself when it comes to the solution. But wine 
um, should be given to the one whose life is bitter. Okay? Let's pray. Oh Lord, we are bitter of heart. We, we feel and remember so many things. So many times we've been a victim. And Lord, we have not done the work of, of grappling with these things and what they mean in your providence. And so Lord, help us to do this. Help us to examine the bitterness that we feel toward our spouses, toward our, our co-workers, toward our parents, toward our children, toward uh, long, long f- friends from long ago, new friends. Lord, we, I pray that, that we would, uh, you would give us time in the coming week to examine ourselves, that we would do the work of going to prayer, confessing our sins before you, pouring our our hearts, and Lord, that we would then uh, pivot into giving you great thanks for all that we have suffered in our lives, for every uh, illness, for all the aches and pains, for all the losses, Lord, for all these things that you have told us uh, lead to our being conformed to Christ. And so, Lord, I pray that we would have more a love for being conformed to Christ than we have love for an easy life. Help us, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.